Sound Reprographics has been providing printing and custom design services for Kitsap County since 1992. Whatever your needs, Sound Reprographics can supply you with the best price and quality for all of your printing and design requirements. Call 206-780-9678 as we celebrate 25 years in business. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- 451-4220. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Our podcast is brought to you by That's The Sum Pizza. Using a 120-year-old starter from the Klondike Gold Rush, they make unique sourdough crust that can't be found anywhere else in the world. That's The Sum Pizza also delivers wine and beer. Call 206-842-2292, order online at thatsasum.com, or download That's The Sum Pizza app on Android and iOS. Congratulations to the team of Alan Raymond and Will Grant, who brought home the first place trophy from the recent Caputo Cup at the Pizza and Pasta Show in Atlantic City. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Johnny Evison with today's Bystander Podcast Word of the Day. Today's word is sibilant. It is an adjective, making or characterized by a hissing sound. The snake from the Jungle Book has a sibilant S. Only every other word, so certain sentences will be a little jumbled. <laughs> you have a voice for radio. I have a face for radio. <laughs> All right. Today's guests are Maria Metzler, correct? Did I say that correct? And Matt Eldridge. They're 
um, currently from the Helpline House, and we're going to have a conversation about all the good things that's going on at Helpline. Welcome, Maria. Thanks very much for having us. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it's good to have you here, and it's good to have you on the island. Um, Matt, what's cracking with you today? How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, looking good as ever. Um, Maria is the new director for the Helpline House here on Bainbridge Island, and you're celebrating your 50th year at Helpline 50th anniversary this year. Really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. And Matt, tell me, you've been the interim director for a while and uh, a friend of mine for a little bit longer. Um, Tell me about the history of Helpline. I don't want to throw Maria under the bus right away with the the backstory of how it's come, but isn't it a product of um, the fish line that's out there in Paulsbo? It's a great question, Tim. Um, I'm glad you asked. There's a whole origin story, and I'm glad you're not asking Maria because there's uh, there, there, there's quite a bit to it, as, as she knows and is starting to get into. Um, it, it turns out the original uh, helpline came out of an effort by some women who were involved in various churches on the island back in – uh, the 60s, and in uh, 1968 started an effort called Fishline that uh, later, um, through various iterations, became incorporated as a 501c3 as Helpline House. So uh, Helpline kind of came out of that original, you know, sort of interfaith uh, collaboration on the island. It just so happens there were a lot of different efforts not unlike this in different places uh, that all happen to have the name fish line. So the the fish refers to sort of a Christian symbol. So that sort of ties back into the, you know, kind of origin of of the name. Our our sister agency in Paulsbo is called North Kitsap Fish Line. In South Kitsap, there's another agency called uh, I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, I, I believe there's a helpline aspect to that. So there's there's sort of a recurring theme among many of these agencies. But that that was how helpline started back in the back in the '60s. Yeah, '68, I believe it was exactly. Fifty years going strong. What what are you bringing to the table, Maria? And what brought you here? And why was this a desirable job for you to relocate to? Sure. So I live on the island, so I'm a part of this community. And since we moved here, we haven't been here very long, just going on four years. But since we moved here, Helpline has stood out as an agency that I really feel aligned with um, the community aspect, neighbor helping neighbor, people pitching in, people giving and receiving. Um, really, this agency is making Bainbridge a healthier community. And that was really important to me as a part of this community. So my previous experience is with emergency services, homelessness in downtown Seattle. It was it's pretty dynamic. It's uh, growing rapidly. And I learned a lot from my previous work. And I'm ready to apply that here. Um, I'm ready to pitch in and, and really feel more um, deeply rooted in this community and see how Helpline can just continue to grow. It's it's pretty big, uh, daunting project for sure. Um, I had heard a stat that one out of ten people on the island use Helpline in some capacity. And can you tell a little bit about the services that Helpline have? I, I know that you know we all donate food there, and 
the schools are in interwoven into that um, donation process. But you guys do a lot more than just provide food for people that are hungry. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Matt and I can tag team on this one. There are lots and lots and lots of services at Helpline. And we really hope this is this is helpful to have people understand what we do. And we hope more people reach out and get involved in various ways. So as you mentioned, there's the food bank. Um, and that is a great place for people to come when they need some extra assistance, uh, maybe at the end of the month. And, and um, it's bills have gone up or unexpected that month, then please come in and use that service. It's also a great place to get involved as a community member. Uh, the food bank relies heavily on uh, volunteers that are just uh, wonderful in this community and really committed to making that operation go really smoothly and treat people with dignity and respect. And it's a really wonderful part of Helpline. But like you said, in addition to that, Helpline does lots of other things. So um, there's the social work component, which um, is by appointment. You can make an appointment to talk about just about anything, really. Um, social work tries to help people connect with all the resources that are out there, get them proper referrals for other agencies that have are able to meet specific needs, make sure you're signed up for um, any sort of assistance that you may be eligible for, um, but also is connected with a lot of different organizations on the island. So is able to partner with Parks and Rec and be able to do um, some vouchers in that way, is able to partner with BPA and is able to do um, some scholarships for for classes in that way and just lots of other places that um, people might not even think of. So that is it's a terrific thing to come to Helpline and kind of explore what you might be eligible for and what's out there for you as a as a community member on Bainbridge Island. And that's not all. In addition, uh, social work um, provides free mental health counseling, which is a really a need in all communities, including this one. Um, and so we have licensed mental health counselors and able to provide um, time-limited services for folks who have either an ongoing need or an acute need that comes up. Um, and that's really a part of trying to help people move towards wholeness and um, supplement all of the services that Helpline does. Um, we have medical equipment loan programs. So uh, folks can come in if they have a need for a temporary type of medical equipment. Some some common things are crutches and wheelchairs and knee scooters and things like that. Um, so that's a way that we're connected with folks also. And then we have a lot of these uh, kind of projects that we do that I'll let Matt talk about that uh, meet specific needs in the community. Matt, with your time at Helpline, what was, in your opinion, the strongest social need? You know, besides food, what are people commonly coming in to over and over into Helpline House for? That's a, a great question, Tim. And one of the things, so, so I've been at Helpline for six months. And one of the things that has surprised me the most has been, like you were just saying, how Helpline's not just a food bank, but offers all these social services as well. And I think what I didn't fully well, I'm I, I'm I'm not even sure I fully appreciate it yet. But what I did not 
understand was just how many folks are coming to Helpline. You mentioned one in 10, and, and that's really what we've figured out is that, you know, on this island of nearly 25,000 people, that about 2,500 are coming to Helpline every year. And while there are about 1,500 who utilize the food bank in a given year, uh, you know, there's still another thousand who are taking advantage of some of these social um, um, social work programs and 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 what's been fascinating has uh, are the reasons why and and really the reasons why are because life happens because people are coming in because uh, of cancer in the family or job loss or they're going through a divorce the kinds of things that can affect any family regardless of income level and when we've been letting people know about the 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 extent of utilization of our services, I think it's come as a big surprise in the community. I think there has not been um, – I think we have an opportunity to raise awareness about how many folks on, on Bainbridge were, um, were able to help out and, and, and the kind of impact that can have because life happens. Yeah, I'm constantly impressed with the – one call for all and the different movements on the island and how giving people are. I often wonder though, the people that still don't know about the services that still need these services on the island. And when we talk about mental illness playing a part in that, you see somebody that you may think is homeless on drugs, but they have a mental issue. And getting them to helpline, just like having a conversation with somebody that's manic or not lucid and not making sense. How does the average person impact that person? And how do we direct them to you guys? Matt? Yeah, that's a tough one, Tim. Partly because in Washington State, um, individuals have the right to refuse assistance. They have the right to refuse um, mental health services unless they're a harm to themselves or to others. And uh, I wrote about this uh, in a letter to the editor uh, that the Bainbridge Review published last week, uh, where uh, in particular, there has been a homeless woman um, around town with a sign that says need food. Um, and I wrote in that a letter about uh, speaking with her about interactions some of our volunteers have had with her um, and she's not in a um, uh, she's I would say not in a position to to come to helpline uh, she exhibited signs that appeared to me to indicate mental illness um, and uh, was very clear that she did not like to go to food banks and that she um, uh, told stories about how she'd had negative experiences at some, et cetera. And so uh, therein lies a, a big challenge for folks who uh, I believe are, are clearly exhibiting some signs of, of needing help, but are, um, you know, because of the, 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 the circumstances that they're in and the conditions that they, they have and because of their mental illness are not in a position to, to accept that help. And so that's a, that's a big challenge. How do we address that? We, we try in a couple of ways. Um, uh, one way that folks can, 
can help is if they see someone who's homeless who might need assistance, they can actually call 911, uh, mention that it's not an emergency. And uh, the, the police department, they carry these things called um, kitchenless food kits that we supply them with. And so police officers who on Bainbridge now are trained in, um, uh, to, to work with folks with mental illness can be in a position to um, help dispatch food to, to folks in need. Now, that's, that's just a Band-Aid. That's just for, you know, sort of emergency food assistance. Um, it's not a lasting solution. And therein lies, I think, a bigger conversation that, that we in this community and we in this, in this state need to have about um, how can we help folks um, who, who clearly are, I think, not in a position to help themselves. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have the answer yet. <laughs> I don't know if you can give the answer, but it's something that I want people to have in the forefront of their mind and know that maybe you don't have the solution, but you may contribute to a solution by taking notice and being present and knowing about these types of programs. Depression, do you guys deal with it? And, and how so, Maria? Yeah, we would, we welcome folks to come in um, and let us know what's going on with them. Often these life events that happen to all of us are accompanied by some form of mental illness and in, in, in terms of uh, depression or anxiety. It could be mild, it could be severe, but things that happen kind of cause a reaction in us as humans. And that's why we uh, really prioritize being able to both offer the mental health counseling and the social work. Um, because being able to kind of tangibly help with financial resources to keep someone housed is an amazing thing. And being able to holistically talk with someone and work with them on any sort of either temporary or long-term mental illness that they have really makes strides. They kind of go hand in hand. And so being able to offer a lot of wraparound services for this community, again, just makes us a healthier community. Um, so we welcome folks to come in and tell us what's going on. And that in that way, we, we do our own assessment and we're able to kind of determine um, even if you don't ask about a specific need, we might be able to offer in some way that we're able to um, to contribute to something. So we want people to to really let us know what's going on. And just to jump in, part of uh, the services that Helpline provides, uh, as Maria was saying, is mental health counseling. So we do have some capabilities in-house. There are certain cases that require a higher level of um, of, of licensure and, and treatment potential. Uh, we partner with uh, Kitsap Mental Health Services to provide uh, some of that assistance. We have someone from Kitsap Mental Health Services on site. Uh, once a week, uh, and we can provide referrals uh, at other times. So, so there's sort of different levels of of help that we can provide. And these are all free services. All of our services are free, exactly. So, it takes what 150 volunteers, about a million dollars to run your operation per year. It takes donations. I, I know Starbucks does a good job of giving um, their day old food to you guys. Um, I know being a pea patch owner that um, some of us bring fresh fresh produce in there. And I think that's really important that you're not just giving these guys um, processed food all the time. 
because that's not a health solution either. And, the, and and just to jump in, it's it's interesting because I think before I came to Helpline, I had a a certain perception of who these guys are, who Helpline's clients are, and what's been very eye opening to me is to see, you know, you can look at the food bank statistics, and while we serve, you know, somewhere between two hundred and two hundred fifty individuals um, uh, in any given week, there's actually a high level of of what's what's often called churn. Uh, in other words. Folks who are utilizing our services, I mean, there's a small percentage who utilize helpline, uh, you know, who may have uh, chronic issues and maybe um, sort of trapped in a cycle of poverty, um, maybe on disability. Uh, and there's a, a big swath of clients who utilize helpline really for just a short amount of time. And they come from all walks of life, um, various income levels because these life events don't discriminate. And so it, I think it's important, you know, I think we have an opportunity to kind of raise awareness around who utilizes helpline. And it's, uh, it's really a wide sort of cross cut of, of, uh, Bainbridge Island life. Yeah. I don't think you can stereotype people's needs. Uh, everybody's different. They, may look like their mom of the year on Facebook and barely holding it together when it comes to human contact. And I see Helpline helping a, a lot of people. I, I see some people that are chronic um, that are constantly in there and hang out there and they're in that cycle for sure. Do you guys ever have a situation where somebody comes in in a distressed state or a disillusional state, yelling, screaming, have a perception that they've been done wrong and they've just walked into the door for the first time. And if so, how do you deal with that type of issue? Yeah, I mean, I will say for the most part, people um, are really respectful when they're using our services, but there are times, I've not been there long, but I've heard that there are times when folks get escalated. Uh, like we've talked about, all these life events are really stressful. Certain types of mental illness can um, have you kind of thought disordered and, and thinking different things. And so there's times when uh, voices are raised or there's tensions uh, amongst folks and um, our staff is really good at some kind of uh, immediate crisis intervention and de-escalation. Um, our staff is also really good about wanting folks to um, not be shamed for any reason. And uh, if someone has to leave for safety reasons, making sure to the best of their ability that the the client, the person understands when they're able to come back, how they're able to continue to use services in some way. Um, and so if we do have to ask someone to leave for safety reasons, and unfortunately, occasionally, not often, but occasionally that'll happen, um, the staff is really persistent in trying to make sure someone knows that uh, this doesn't mean you're no longer allowed to use services ever. They're, they're creative in ways to, um, you know, be able to do things like leave a food bag out at a certain time for someone to come by and pick it up if being in the food bank at present is kind of unsafe for them or, 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 daunting. or daunting for them. And so the staff are really creative in trying to work with people and find ways to meet need. It's it's listening to people and, and getting to know them a little bit more than a surface level. I want to get back to when you were talking about that emergency food kit that the police are um, carrying now. That, that's good to know. Another thing I think people need to know that if you see somebody 
in distress or or you just have a that that premonition that they need a little bit of help you can call the police department in a non-emergency situation and say i've seen tim on the side of the street he needs a wellness check i think those are the keywords a wellness check and that they'll start keeping tabs on that person and i think the police around here do a good job of of knowing the clientele um the riffraff like myself and the up and coming people <laughs> like you guys. Um, Maria, when you have a great background in, in um, homelessness, do you see a homelessness problem here on the Island? And if so, how do you measure it? And how do you see it? What a terrific question. Um, so the first answer is, do I see a homelessness problem on the Island when there are people who are homeless? It's a problem. So as a society, as a community, if there are people among us who are unstably housed and who are sleeping in tents and in cars and in sheds, that is a problem. So the very frank answer to that is yes, we have a homelessness problem on the island because there are people among us who are homeless. Getting further into it, I... I'm really steeped in what homelessness looks like in downtown Seattle. Uh, chronic homelessness, severe and persistent mental illness, it's chemical almost dependency. The capital of homelessness, Seattle. It it's it's the the population is growing at an astounding rate, and there's a lot of contributing factors. And I want to take what I've learned there, and I want to just dig deeper here. So. I don't know the extent of it. I intend to find out. I intend to find out how Helpline is best able to meet some of the needs. Um, housing is the answer to homelessness. I don't know. Uh, it's not that simple. I, I absolutely understand. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to know how Helpline can contribute in along that path. Um, I intend to have lots of conversations with people to understand what they've seen, what it looks different to them, um, agencies that are in some way um, have more information, have any sort of data, um, talked with the emergency responders, talk with schools, make sure that I'm really understanding the breadth and the depth of uh, what it looks like here on the island, and then kind of formulate a stance on how Helpline moves forward with that information. A couple things that we're doing new is, uh, uh, and, and especially now that Marie is on board, one is we're uh, more actively participating in the an I'm sorry, twice annual count of homeless folks that takes place across the country. And so in Kitsap County, that occurs. Um, Helpline has played somewhat of a role in the past, and we're increasing our involvement this year for the first time in more actively engaging with volunteers and uh, helping to um, to to take part in that count. So, so that hopefully will lead to some better data. The other thing, though, that um, Maria touched on and you've hinted at, Tim, is I think there's um, you know there's there is a, a level that is not uh that's less visible in homelessness and near homelessness where folks are couch surfing or staying with a friend or or in other ways they're they're in a situation that that technically is homeless or they're a, a half a step away from that um a recent conversation we had with another partner organization on the island was um i would say shocking in revealing the number of students at the high school who 
are from uh, who who self-report as being uh, in a homeless situation. That doesn't mean they're out in a tent sleeping in the ravine, but it does mean that they're in an unstable housing situation, and it is a much bigger problem than than I think most people are aware of. How is that data accumulated? Well. Uh, there is a list that the high school has of, um, uh, of students who, as I understand it, who, uh, of students who self-report as being homeless. And part of the reason for that is because when it comes to, um, um, you know, uh, absences or permission forms or that sort of thing, it's a big challenge for, for kids who are, for whatever reason, um, homeless or without stable housing. So uh, my understanding is that the school maintains uh, a list where those students are, are able to, to register and the school is able to help support them in ways that, that otherwise would be very difficult. Uh, does the police or fire department keep homeless records? That's it, a that's a great question. I don't know. I I'm certainly do, but I'm not sure in what form. Um, and like you said, I I want to recognize the emergency responders, the police, the fire department for doing those wellness checks and for being, um, for getting the training on how to deal with folks in crisis, for responding to community members who call in with concerns. Um, and so they, I'm certainly track uh, in in whatever fashion they do. I just don't know what that looks like, but um, they do a really good job, like you mentioned, about um, using our kitchenless bags as an engagement way to kind of start a conversation about uh, what's next for folks. Um, and we and Helpline works with the police as well, um, kind of both ways. We'll inform them, they'll inform us, and we'll see we'll see what the next step is. Do you think it's easy to be homeless in Seattle and do you think the amount of food service and programs enable a larger population of homelessness in Seattle? Uh, that's a great question. I don't think it's easy to be homeless in Seattle. Um, I, I have to say I have not been homeless in Seattle. So this is a perspective from someone who has not experienced homelessness. That said, I don't think it's easy there, while there are a wealth of resources and Seattle, the city of Seattle has committed um, a lot of money. Money comes through the county, money comes through um, the state and, and federal. So there's a lot of money dedicated in Seattle. Um, and if you are over there, you can see it's not enough. So the the problem is larger than uh, the money that is flowing into it. The money that's flowing into it is terrific. There are great programs that target folks and and they're able to access. But it's not easy to be homeless because there are there is more need than there are resources. Um, uh, the shelters that I worked at turned away people every single night. Um, the shelter system is inadequate for the amount of people who need overnight shelter. So it's not easy, I think, to be homeless anywhere. What are your takes, both of you, on the designated tent encampments for homeless people? Matt, go ahead. I know you think on your feet. Uh, yeah. Um, my, my own uh, personal opinion uh, is that it is uh, 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 emblematic of the inadequate 
response that we as a society have to not only homelessness, but to addressing underlying causes of homelessness. Uh, we spoke a moment ago about treatment options, um, in particular for folks with, um, with severe mental illness. Um, I think um, we as a society need to ask ourselves some, some, we need to have more of a civic conversation about what it means to uh, what kind of society we want to have. Um, it was certainly striking to me moving back. I lived in Amsterdam from 2006 to 2009. Uh, and coming back to Seattle was a world of difference. Whereas in Amsterdam, it would be extremely rare to see folks who were visibly homeless. Uh, and coming back here and, and seeing um, uh, uh, you know, an epidemic. Um, there is, I think, a different social contract there. And I think for, for us, it's not that that is the model we need to adopt, but there's certainly, I think, uh, a higher level of, um, treatment options that are available. Um, there is, I think, a, uh, a different approach to providing compulsory treatment for, uh, folks who are un unable to seek treatment themselves. Of course, in this country, that gets into, I think, a um, a fundamental discussion around individual freedoms. Um, uh, you know, my, my own opinion is that, um, to give someone the freedom to die cold, hungry, and alone on the street, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's the kind of America that, um, that, that, uh, that we as a country want to be. Maria? Yeah, I think Matt touched on a lot of things that um, I think as well. I share a lot of those opinions. I will say that um, when housing is not available, housing, affordable housing is not adequately available anywhere in our region. Um, and when housing is not available, uh, places that are sanctioned for people to sleep together uh, in a community type setting um, are... It's not something I want to promote, but I'd rather have that than people feeling as though they have to hide and uh, be feel shamed and uh, try and be somewhere away where people can't see them. And um, and so the tent cities tend to provide some sense of community amongst the folks who stay there that is a support to them um, that they're able to rely on in certain ways. Um, I would would promote a hundred times affordable housing over uh, resources on tent cities, but in lieu of being able to devote all the resources necessary for affordable housing, then um, being able to, to sanction some sort of tent city that says, we see you, you can be here. We know you're, you're a person, you're a part of our community. Um, if we're able to do that well, then um, it's, there's benefits to that. I, I think we need to go down this uh, rabbit hole of affordable housing and, and talk about it now. Um, the regular house medium price, is that how they refer to it, is what in Seattle? Do you guys know? I, I, I still can't quite believe this. I thought that I read it was nearly a million dollars. That would not surprise which, me. Which seems extraordinary. Um. Don't quote me on that, but that's uh, no. We that's don't fact check here on yeah. the bystander, so it's, it's all good. I thought it was um, around four hundred thousand um, dollars. 
Oh, here we go. He's going to ask Einstein <laughs> on his phone. Um, when I think of affordable housing, and it's a huge topic here on the island, and I think about the workforce and the college kids coming back and why would they come back and what kind of jobs do they have and where would they live? We talk about these people that are down and out for whatever, whether it be an illness, a, a loss of job, um, mental disability, just a cycle, like you said, of poverty. How do we go from being homeless to that medium house price? And Furthermore, where's the in-between? Where's the affordable housing? Is affordable housing a quarter of a million dollars? So I'm homeless, and you're building me this affordable housing, and I need a quarter of a million dollars to get into it. How do we transition? And I don't think we do this very well. How do we transition from a person that needs help, that seeks the help, finds the help, and then needs to turn that corner and get in a house without surfing, you know, couch surfing or living in an outhouse on somebody's property or being not independent, but doing cooperative type housing situations. You know, how do we get that person to see that final goal and work towards that goal? Well, yeah, and it's. I think it will be a great conversation to continue with folks at Housing Resources Bainbridge. But from what little I've get on the pod, yeah. kids. <laughs> from what little I've picked up over the past six months, my sense is twofold. One, that there is a um, there is both a challenge around affordable housing for purchase, but that um, in addition and perhaps more importantly, there is a huge dearth of affordable and workforce rental housing. And so the rental inventory is often what's more uh, within reach and, and practical for folks who are um, experiencing one of these life events that we're talking about. You know, so many families are really just one major medical catastrophe away from um, being displaced from, from their home. Um, the, the second thing I would say is that I think there are a number of encouraging steps that we as a community are starting to take. There's an affordable housing task force that the city has. Uh, the, um, there is the, the Sakai property development, which is, is looking at having a, a certain level of affordability, uh, in units there. Um, the, I think stepping back for a moment, the, the big picture answer to your question, I think is where there is a market failure to provide a sufficient level of rental housing for police officers, teachers, retail workers, there then is a need for a public policy solution. And where we as a community say it is a priority for us to make sure that there is some level of affordable and workforce rental housing uh, in this community. And um, there are lots of different ways to approach that. But I think that's really where we as a society, as, a, as an island, um, need to be clear about what matters to us and what kind of community we want to live in. Beautiful. Maria, you got anything to add to that? It's hard. It's hard to top that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'll just uh, underscore that 
affordable housing doesn't look one way. Um, and there's lots of different practices that have been done in Seattle, around the region, around the country. And um, we should, uh, I'm encouraged that the city uh, and the task force uh, members are looking into lots of different options uh, because we want to see what fits best. And we also want to try some things. Um, it does take resources. It takes community support. It takes city support. And I think that this community is up for it. And um, and I'm encouraged to see what comes from the affordable uh, task force and and what the next steps are. Um, finally, how do you guys finance this project? I mean, is there grant money? Is there donors? Is it? How do people contribute? Tim, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> uh, you know, it's. Um, one of the very pleasant surprises to me coming into Helpline is that it's been financially very well managed uh, as an interim executive director and having done this before. It's not always the case to come into an organization and find that its finances are in good shape. One of the advantages I think Helpline has is having been here for 50 years and having, a, I think, a, um, a very strong base of support. The vast majority of Helpline support comes from individuals. And that's everything from a $25 or $50 donation, possibly that someone makes through one call for all, all the way up to certain major donors who might be giving, you know, at the upper end, uh, you know, $1,000 or $5,000. Or um, what happens occasionally is there'll be a bequest that someone will leave a certain part of their estate to helpline and the impact that, that we have. There are um, a number of very uh, important um, corporate sponsors and donors in the community that um, play a super active role. Um, I think we have a big opportunity to further um, engage with those partners uh, and expand that level of support as well as um, grant and foundation uh, support for what we do. So we do receive some uh, federal money through a community development block grant program that's administered by Kitsap County. Um, we receive support from, um, from the city of Bainbridge Island. I think also in those areas, we've got a, um, a very substantial opportunity to explore how, uh, foundations and, and other institutional funders can, can support our impact. Yeah. And I think people also support it in the massive volunteer system that you have. I mean, both, uh, adults and students. And I, I love how the schools support it. You know, when my my son was itty bitty, you know, he walked taking his bag of food to Helpline House from school, and it was it was a good moment. And I love seeing that type of stuff, and I love that activity. I'm so glad you said that. It takes this community uh, in all ways to keep Helpline going. Again, for the betterment of the larger community as a whole, and uh, we have volunteers of all ages who are dedicated and who are able to volunteer in a lot of different ways in um, in the food bank, in the parade of condiments, uh, in just so many. Hold, so hold many on, parade of condiments. What I, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Maria, because that that you're like Heinz ketchup giving <laughs> giving condiments well, Tim, away. What's Tim, going on? You, t you talked about your son walking with his backpack. So so informally, the uh, the label for for so there's a day a year in the fall when all 
the students at Ordway Elementary. Go walk, Otters. Yeah, they they walk all the way from all the way down Madison. There's a police escort. There's uh uh and and each of them bring a bag as you know, a yeah. school bag filled with uh with food to donate to Helpline. One short story um it, it was so striking uh, this year for for me to be able to witness that uh from a Helpline perspective. Both just these endless lines of kids and they're so excited and bringing food. Um the other thing that really jumped out though was this little girl came up to me. She was I think a fourth grader and uh, a teacher was with her and 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 she said I I I have a, a donation. I said oh what do you have? And and she pulled out this envelope and she said, well, the, um, not too long ago, a friend and I set up a lemonade stand at Frog Rock and we decided to, to, to give all the proceeds, um, to helpline. And so she handed me this envelope, it had $108 in it that these two elementary school girls had raised by selling lemonade at Frog Rock. That's a beautiful story. Um, are you guys in need of anything right now? Like, is there a, a major demand or stress that our community could fulfill? Or can we just give a shout out and say, hey, helpline, what is it, helplinehouse.org, uh, make a contribution there, stuff the red envelope, one call for all. And hey, how about uh, you guys out there in Podcastville? We make a, a pack to... Uh, Bring a sack of gro- groceries to Helpline this Friday, okay? Um, anything you guys want to plug or talk about? Tim, one of the, I think, uh, exciting aspects for Maria that she's been talking about and, and can maybe explain further is just around taking a fresh look at the needs of the community and how can Helpline most effectively meet those needs. And I think over the next year or so, that's going to be something that's really exciting, both engaging with partners, other stakeholders from donors, volunteers, clients, past clients, really the whole community to try to figure out what are we doing well? Where are we helping to really meet the need well today and need to keep doing that? And what are we missing? Where do we have an opportunity to do more and help folks more effectively, folks who might not know about Helpline or might feel reluctant for whatever reason to to come to Helpline? Um, you know, I think for some, there is a certain uh, level of pride or a certain stigma attached yeah, to seeking no help. There's no stigma. Go. Get the help. Exactly. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. Um, and it's there for you. If you need it, go use it. That's why we're trying to contribute to this. Um, Maria Metzler, Matt Eldridge, thank you guys so much for coming in and talking to me today. Um, I would encourage everybody out there, it's not just Thanksgiving, it's not just Christmas, it's every day that people need to be helped. Be kind, we're out.
Thank you.